What's going on guys? Welcome back to the show. Today I am going to talk you guys through an experiment that I'm doing with my training. I'm gonna talk about what is the experiment, why am I doing it, maybe why I haven't done this in the past, some potential issues with the experiment, and genuinely what I think is going to happen alongside some other potential outcomes. But I'll also discuss what I genuinely genuinely think is gonna happen. So. What is the experiment? The experiment is me keeping my program exactly the same for as long as I can. I'm gonna do the same program, same reps and sets and exercise order and split and tempo and RIR progression. I'm gonna keep apples to apples to apples to apples until something stops me. Um, I'm currently at the end of my second mesocycle doing this. So I've repeated the mesocycle once already. So I have a little bit of that data, uh, just like from like how I'm feeling and what I suspect is going to happen. And so I'll share some of that with you guys at the end. So why am I doing this? Why am I keeping my program exactly the same? There's another question of like, why change anything at all, right? I mean, uh, wouldn't the default be keeping a program the same? If it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality, you know? And that's obviously, those are both fair questions. And this idea of like how to know what to change in your programming is a question that I went in depth with Brian Borstein on a podcast episode, maybe two or three episodes ago. I'm gonna link that in the description. If this general discussion that I'm having right now is interesting to you, then I would go back and listen to that podcast as well because we definitely kind of shoot the shit, go back and forth on some of how we think about what should stay and what should go from mezzo to mezzo. But the, the fact is that there are some downsides to changing things. When you change things, there are a couple, you know, um, issues that you'll have to go through when you begin doing a new exercise. Um, and the first one I'm gonna talk about is just wasted time figuring out the setup, the execution, and choosing what loads you're gonna use. Everybody here has done a new exercise. You've loaded up your program and you've seen, oh, there's a overhead cable extension that I've never done. And so there's gonna be a time period spent figuring out how high the cable should go, where your arm should go, how flared should my elbow be, um, you know, how, what's my range of motion supposed to look like? Am I supposed to go all the way down to my forearm touching my bicep? Am I supposed to lock out at the top? Um, there's time spent figuring out what weight and reps, you, you know, you're supposed to be doing. You know, obviously this is gonna take a different amount of time for different people. The, you know, if you're a really good understanding of biomechanics and you've, you're an experienced trainee who really understands RIR, yeah, you're gonna, this is gonna be a more accelerated process for you. But I'll tell you straight up, this still happens for me. When I'm doing a new movement, maybe there's a, a full week of training that I've spent just figuring out the setup, the execution, playing with the cable height. And I'll tell you, one week, that's actually quite low. I, I have a group with over 600 people in it. And I know that we go back and forth with form videos two, three weeks sometimes to get this thing right. Man, two or three weeks out of a six-week mesocycle, technically a five-week mesocycle if you're not counting the deload week, that's a lot of time spent having suboptimally stimulative training for the goal of figuring it out. And so there's gonna be some cost you pay time-wise for figuring this out. How am I supposed to do this movement? What's the setup? Where's the bench? How high's the bench? How high's the cable? Where are my hands? You know, taking a form video, sending it to my coach, getting feedback, trying again. So the, I, again, that, 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 that time can be shorter or longer depending on the movement, the person, your experience, et cetera. Um, but there's gonna be some portion of time, right? And one way that I try to augment or, or, or figure out this issue is by introducing an intro week and having clients go through, you know, pairing their deload week with practicing the new movements. That's one of the big reasons I'm so passionate about doing an intro week as a deload, because if you can spend time in your deload, 
figuring out the execution, the setup, the tempo, the the pausing, the um, how high the cable should be, what load, you know, calibrating loads for the first week, then you can, you know, that isn't time wasted. That's time you're not supposed to be doing stimulative training. So if I'm not supposed to be doing stimulative training, maybe I can just spend some of that time figuring out some of these problems. And so that I'm not doing these things and figuring out these things week one, week two, week three. But invariably, inevitably across large populations, a lot of you guys are gonna be one, two, three weeks into your program before you're actually like, wow, I got the train on the tracks. This move feels grooved in. I got my weight and reps, my progression's going well. My mind-muscle connection might be improving. And so there's time spent, like you're, you have to pay some sort of cost to get to that point. And sometimes it's you know anywhere from zero to three weeks. Uh, and if your mesocycle is five weeks, then that's 60% of the mesocycle spent doing suboptimally stimulative training at the cost of figuring out how to get to stimulative training. And then you have two weeks of hard training and then you deload again and then you swap the movement out. I mean, that 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 to me is a, an annoyance, frankly. It, you know, if you are the kind of person, I'm thinking of my group right now, we do like an at-home hip extension and the at-home setup for hip extension. It's not, it's not straightforward. It's gonna take you a couple of, tinkering with it, whether that's weeks of tinkering with it or an hour of tinkering with it, you know, going back and forth with your coach to figure out your range of motion, should the bar be lower? This shit takes time. If you just bring that exercise in, two or three weeks you spend figuring it out, two or three weeks you spend actually doing really good stimulative work, but then you swap it out, you don't see it for another couple of mesocycles. To me, that is, that's unfortunate and suboptimal. Is it the end of the world? We'll talk about that in the in the scheme of like the hierarchy of what's important for the average person to make gains. Maybe it's not the end of the world, but you know, I'm a big believer in like, hey, if you're trying, like the glutes that you wanna grow, they can probably RDL a hundred more pounds than you can right now. And it's probably best for there to be some continuity and you sticking to doing RDLs, for example, for mesocycle after mesocycle to get these apples to apples comparisons. And so one of the potential downsides of changing things up in your program is that you're spending a period of time learning the execution, the setup, and calibrating what load you're supposed to do at the target rep range, at the target RIR. And if you can bypass that time or accelerate that time, right? Um, shorten that learning curve by keeping it the same, right? You know, if you did RDLs last mesocycle and you're doing RDLs this mesocycle, that time in the second mesocycle that you're gonna spend figuring out what weight to use and figuring out what your technique is supposed to look like is obviously gonna be much shorter because hopefully you did that in the first mesocycle. Now, the second thing that is a potential downside is the masking of gains, actual hypertrophy gains, muscle tissue gains by neurological adaptations. Now, this isn't such a huge downside um, and I'll explain here. So basically a neurological adaptation in this context, what I'm gonna discuss it as is an ability for you to lift more weight that has nothing to do with building muscle. It has to do with neurological efficiency or basically your nervous system figuring out how to do this movement more effectively, more efficiently. When you are brand new to training and you try and let's say barbell back squat for the first time, you look like a damn fucking uh, flamingo and you just don't really like, it doesn't, it's not a movement that your body knows how to coordinate really well because you're brand new to it. But if you walk in the gym every week and you barbell back squat, very likely you can add five pounds on each side of the bar every single time you go into the gym. It's That's an astronomical rate of progression. Um, and it's only available to you in this like newbie phase, let's say. Because you are getting neurologically, you're getting rapidly better at squatting. And so you might see your numbers going up a lot. And yes, as a newbie, you also are making a 
actual muscle growth, actual hypertrophy gains exponentially quicker as well. But a lot of those strength gains that you see in the beginning of, and I'm gonna use a newbie as somebody who's brand new to training as the example here, but every time you do a new movement, you're getting a microcosm of that novelty that a newbie gets when they do anything, because for them, everything is new. And so when you're squatting as the newbie, you're putting weight just an, at an ast- on the bar at an astronomical pace because you are getting neurologically more efficient at squatting. For a lack of a more scientific way of saying it, you are getting better at squatting more than you are actually building muscle that's allowing you to lift more. It's the example I give sometimes is like, if you've never golfed before and you swing once, you're gonna suck on that first day. But between day one and day seven, if you practice every day, you're gonna get rapidly better and you're gonna hit the ball much further. Are you hitting the ball further because you've built all this muscle? No, you're hitting the ball further because you're getting better at coordinating the movement of a golf swing. You're getting more neurologically efficient at doing this movement. Your body's figuring out how to do this movement in a more powerful, more coordinated manner. And in in the very same vein, I guess in a smaller sense, that's what's happening when you grab an exercise, when you do a new exercise, your body's figuring out how to do it. And so a lot of times what happens is, let's say you do a new movement, first time ever, and you, you know, you maybe you spent intro week, you did a good job, you kind of figured out how to do the movement, or it's a machine and it's pretty straightforward. You're gonna make what feels like amazing progress on that movement. And maybe for the first two to four weeks, you're like, wow, it's just like I'm crushing this progression, I'm feeling super strong, feeling really good about how I'm doing. And I don't want to shit on that, by the way, because it's very likely that hypertrophy is happening alongside of these neurological adaptations, 100 percent But there's almost like this. You know, if you keep swapping shit out and you keep putting in a new exercise and you keep getting these neurological gains and then swapping it out and putting something new in and then getting more neurological, it's like playing golf for a week, getting rapidly better at it, then switching to basketball, getting rapidly better, or speaking French, getting rapidly better at it. Then next week you're starting from scratch with Spanish and you're getting rapidly better at it. It's like you're getting rapidly better at these things, but it's unlikely you're going to be a master at any of them. Maybe this isn't the end of the world. Maybe you could still be doing this. And I think in the hierarchy of what's important, as long as you're still training hard and focusing on progression, that you're still gonna make hypertrophy gains. But I do think that there's some masking of long-term progressive overload for these short-term neurological gains. And there's almost like this internal, like mental masturbation to this short-term success that you're getting on these movements. Like there's something to be said about instead of swapping a movement out every mezzo just so that you can feel good for three to four weeks because you're getting these new neurological gains, how about keeping that movement in for 12 to 20 weeks, weeding out, getting rid of these neurological gains? Like if you want to be Tiger Woods, you can't just golf for a week and then swap it out and go play basketball and swap it out and go play soccer. Like you're going to want to stick with one thing long enough to actually, yeah, the, the, the golf example eventually trends away from analogous, but, um, chances are there's some amount of continuity that bypasses this or weeds out or washes out or extends beyond these rapid neurological gains and allows you to really dig into a movement in the sense that you know that those progressions are likely, you know, some combination of neurological gains and actual muscle tissue growth and strength and all that stuff. Um, And so your two issues are that you're gonna, every time you change something up, you're gonna spend some period of time learning the movement, learning the technique, going back and forth with your coach, sending form videos, figuring out the tempo, what's my range of motion, how much weight should I be doing? Is this a good weight for me? Did my technique break down? Like there's some period of time spent doing that and, 
you are finding that you're probably just getting these like rapid neurological gains. Yes, there's hypertrophy happening alongside of that if you're going close to failure, absolutely. But it's almost like this false sense of amazing growth and false sense of amazing progression. It feels like you're making amazing progression. You know, an example of this for me is, I don't remember the last time I did one exercise for five mesos in a row. I also don't remember the last time I went up like in the last year, I'm not really sure that I'm, I've PR'd on a whole lot, you know? And, and yes, you know, we're conflating some strength and hypertrophy discussion. It's not, you know, one of the best proxies we have for muscle growth is strength. And so I'm gonna use that. It's like, I've been dumbbell pressing, let's say the 75s for the last year, you know? And if you combine that with, have my pecs grown very much? Maybe not, and maybe there's a correlation there. Maybe I want to keep with a certain movement for a bit longer, get rid of those neurological gains, really dig in to mesocycle to mesocycle progression so that, you know, the pecs that I want might be able to press 80s. The best way to probably get there is to not jump around getting a whole bunch of neurological gains, but maybe to dig into a movement that I do efficiently that I can work super duper hard in because I'm, hey, I am already neurologically efficient at it because I've been doing it chances are there's gonna be, in my opinion, that sphere is probably best for gains. Anything else on this topic? Um, okay, well, the question that remains is how long could I do this before something stops me? How long could you keep doing the same thing before something stops you? Like, um, at what point am I gonna run into something that says, yeah, you need to swap this? And we'll talk about what I think both the possible outcomes and my anticipated outcome are at the end. Um, next question would be, why not always do this, right? Why not always, you know, keep things exactly the same? I think we have to look at three factors here, I guess two factors. One is is enjoyment. Um, and I guess this is gonna bleed into the possible outcomes here. So these are, these are hypothetical um, things that we have to consider, but there are also potential outcomes. Like, why not always keep everything the same? Why not do the same program for fucking ever? Number one is physiologically, you will adapt to what you're doing and over time you will get less from it. We talked about becoming more neurologically efficient. Every adaptation in the body will have a diminishing return at some points. Like, you know, drinking more coffee, the more caffeine that you take in, the more caffeine it's gonna take to get that same stimulus. Um, same thing with hypertrophy, you, uh, you know, you have to add more load over time as you get stronger, right? The, every adaptation, the more muscle you get, the harder it is to get more muscle. Every adaptation that we're getting in the body that's pushing us in one direction, the threshold for getting more of that thing is also going to go up. And so if you always do exactly the same thing, what will happen is eventually you will plateau on a movement, right? You, if you just do the, if I do the exact, I guess we're gonna talk about the potential outcomes right now. Um, if I do the exact same program forever, at some point, I will plateau on these movements. It's impossible that I will progress forever on these movements. Um, would I say that you would actually ever plateau to a point of making no benefit or would would it be more of like an asymptote where the diminishing returns would be, would get me to a point where it's just not practical or it's certainly not optimal to keep doing the same thing? I think that that's more likely, but but again, I don't know because I've never done this. Have, will I actually run into a plateau? I'm not sure. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, the second is enjoyment. Like, let's just call it what it is. Everybody listening to this is like, wow, doing the same thing forever? That sounds fucking boring as shit. And it might be, right? And we'll talk about where I think it, it actually is more fun than people might give it credit for at first glance. But there's an enjoyment factor. At what point might my motivation to train go low because of the lack of novelty? 
And I'll make a point in a bit, it's like, how are those two potentially intertwined, right? Is the enjoyment factor from things like neurological adaptations that are making it so that I feel like I'm doing more, and as I get rid of those neurological adaptations and I'm and I'm fighting for progression at a slower rate, does that in turn affect my motivation to train? My expectation, I guess we're gonna keep going on this route. My expectation is that is what's going to happen is that I will actually run out of enjoyment and motivation before I actually hit some sort of fucking brick wall that says you can't progress on this movement anymore. My guess is that I will run into a point where I'm I'm done with this experiment voluntarily that I'm done, I'm just fucking sick of doing the same thing. Um, but I can't disentangle that from the fact that maybe that's also from the fact that training will get to a point where it's just both really hard to progress and maybe my pumps are worse. Uh, I'm getting a worse pump, I'm getting a worse stimulus. I'm not feeling like my SFR, my stimulus to fatigue ratio is where it once was because I'm adapting to this training. You know, a lot of people, over the years, not anymore, really have talked about fucking like shocking the body, right? You gotta shock your body, you gotta do something new. Shock the body, although dumb, is based on a truth that we adapt to things. And there is a novelty effect. Do, you know, everybody has done a new exercise and be like, oh my God, I'm so sore. Yeah, you're so sore because you took on more damage because of some form of novelty. This was new to your body. And soreness is in some part caused by doing something that's new. It's it's a bit, it's hard to disentangle exactly where that's coming from. But um, if you've ever done a new exercise and you'd be like, oh my God, I'm so sore. Yeah, it's, you're, it's new. It's just like the first time you ever trained, it was new. And so there's some novelty attached there. So doing something new, shocking the body is true. Like you should over, like over time, you can't do the exact same thing forever. However, of course, shock the body crew has like extrapolated that to the nth degree of like, you gotta do random shit every time you come in the gym. That's obviously not the case. But there is a shred, there is a shred, a thread of truth here of like, you can't do the same thing for literally forever. Now, why haven't I done this in the past? Why is it now that I'm thinking, okay, more continuity, less novelty? The truth is for the last several years, I'd say the last five, my primary goal of my own training has been education, trying out new movements, learning more about biomechanics and applying that. Um, I have not really cared about pushing my physique at all, frankly. I've been very content with where I'm at. If you listen to the last podcast with uh, Buddy Your Macros ladies, we talked about just like, this really happy state that I'm in of being content and enjoying my training, but also not like, uh, you know, not having any immense physique goals or anything like that. The last several years of my training has purely been about trying new things, experimenting with different rep and set techniques and training methodologies and periodization and exercise selection so that I can be a better coach and I can use those things with my, with my clients and my group, et cetera. And I'll level with you, my goal is still education. I still don't have any like immense physique goals. And so for me, while I do believe that having on average more continuity, which is obviously I'm taking that to the nth degree here, is better for gains, I'm doing it still out of an education experimental mindset where I want to see what happens. I wanna see how I feel. I wanna see how I progress. I wanna see if the enjoyment of sticking to the same shit, getting really freaking good at it and progressing on it over the long term, does that fun outweigh or how does it compare to the fun of doing something new? And where is this potential best balance of novelty and continuity, right? Those are the two things we're always kind of having a tug of war with. It's like, when I'm thinking of, you know, the next question I have is generally why I wouldn't do this with a large group or a client, let's say. Um, and that, that's not fair because 
actually in, in recent times, I've been leaning a little bit more heavily on this idea of continuity and, and um, being able to assess progression across mesocycles, not just within mesocycle. Um, and that's something I've always done, but just leaning a little bit more heavily on that side of the spectrum, let's say. Um, but the cost benefit of sacrificing some of that novelty for continuity isn't something I can assume for a large group. Um, you know, it's twofold. I think keeping everything the same would not be enjoyable for most people. And I think doing everything new would not be the most enjoyable for most people. And I think that, that the latter of changing everything up because of the two things we talked about prior, because people are gonna spend a lot of time trying to figure out their training, not feeling confident. I mean, there's some, everyone listening knows, there's some fun of going into the gym and knowing exactly how to execute. There's a confidence behind knowing exactly what to do. You change shit up every mesocycle and there's 15 new exercises every mesocycle. And there's some fun in the novelty, I'm sure, but you also have to you also have to like be a, a a noob at 15 new exercises, and you know there's some fun there, but there's also some shit I don't really know what I'm doing yet, and that's not fun. Um, and so the cost benefit of sacrificing all of that novelty for continuity for a large group, I can't assume. And the same goes for the cost benefit of sacrificing the benefit and fun of continuity for more novelty, I also can't assume. So we do, if you're in my group, you, we do keep a lot of things the same. And frankly, I think, obviously I'm biased, I'm doing what I think is best. And I think we have an amazing balance in the group. We probably keep anywhere from two thirds, maybe anywhere from half to three quarters of things the same each mesocycle swapping out things that have been there for a while that I think from a feedback perspective have generally gotten a bit stale, just from feedback from what people have told me, uh, things I'm watching in the group, and then also my innate desire to expose the group to new things. And so finding that balance of continuity and novelty so that you can have the most fun and you can get fun from both of those things, because I do not think that the fun is only attached to novelty. I think the fun is from the continuity, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, I think we do a great job of that. Obviously, I'm biased. I think the group is, has a really nice balance to it. Um, when we talk about the fun of continuity, here's what I mean. When people think of fun, they I think they think new and fun are synonymous. And they think of doing the same thing as, I think most people can wrap their head around the fact that doing, like most people hear what I'm saying. They're like, okay, doing the same thing, I get it. Doing RDLs again, if I really wanna get better at RDLs, I really wanna build those muscles, maybe, sticking with a movement I already really know how to do, maybe sticking with that for several mesocycles, building upon that neurological efficiency, pu really pushing myself on this movement instead of just swapping it out every mesocycle. I think most people are nodding along with that. They're all right, I get it. Okay, that makes sense. But they will associate fun with doing something new. All right, new exercise, new rep scheme, a new uh, intensity technique, myo reps or drop sets or reverse drop set. Oh, this is the fun in training. It's like this new exercise. But... I have been coaching for a long time. I've coached you know, hundreds of people one-on-one. -on -one. I'm coaching hundreds of people in the group right now. And the question of what weight should I use, figuring that out, and the confidence that is built and felt when you know you're doing something right. I find that alleviating those two issues, uh, appealing to those two issues by having some continuity, because remember, having continuity, if you did six weeks of RDLs, and then, or five weeks of RDLs, and then you deload, and you're gonna do another five weeks of RDLs. On week one of the second mesocycle, you're gonna know more or less exactly where to start, or you're at least gonna have a really damn good guess of where to start. And this question of where should I start? Again, there's over 600 people in the group. 
every time 50 people join each mesocycle or something, all of them have this question, you know? You know, that it's answered in the group to some degree. And so just, I know that they're coming in with this question is what I'm saying of, okay, Jordan, I see that it's RIR here. There's a rep range, but like I'm, I'm struggling with like what weight to pick. Dude, keeping an exercise in for several mesocycles in a row makes that problem go away entirely. There is something so fun about knowing exactly what weight and reps you're gonna shoot for this week. And that goes for progression within a mesocycle, giving a client, which is something I'm massively passionate about, giving clients the confidence and a progression model that they can sink their teeth into and really understand so that they when they show up to the gym, they know I did RDLs for 988 last mesocycle. I'm gonna do RDLs today. I'm gonna try for 989, whatever. I'm gonna add one rep, whatever. Like giving people the tools to really understand what is what they're supposed to be doing when they come in that day at the gym to, like is underratedly fun. Alleviating the question, answering the question, not needing to ask the question of what weight should I do? How many reps should I do? Having those questions answered, I, I've just seen it, is so fun for people. And I've actually been amazed at how much people have actually acknowledged how beneficial that is and how much they are willing to trade away some novelty for having a better understanding of what's expected on them of them on any given week, whether it's within a mesocycle or between mesocycles. And so that's been super, super fun to see. Like your confidence of going in the gym and seeing like, okay, we're doing the same exact workout as last mesocycle. Do you know what that means? What that means is I know exactly what weight and reps I should ballpark, right? Ballpark estimate that I should start with. And I know exactly what my technique is supposed to look like. And so that confidence of knowing exactly what to do when you're going in the gym is something I want for everybody. And I think leaning a little bit more heavily on continuity is going to give you that, that confidence, right? Um, yeah, and it's just been interesting. With one-on-one -on -one clients who I deal with a, in a bit with a bit more intimacy, it's a bit more of an intimate discussion, I've found that that's actually been the feedback that I've been getting. Again, it's not everybody, not everyone's the same. Everyone's gonna need a different amount of novelty to, to enjoy their training the most. Um, but I have really found that when clients have a good handle on what's what they're supposed to do, that they don't need as much novelty. Um, that there is a fun in feeling confident with your technique on something because you've been doing it and knowing where to start your mesocycle because you've been doing it. And so I found that it's been really, really nice. Honestly, it's cha changed a bit of my, you know, I think we make assumptions about people. And I think that, I think a lot of, well, maybe whatever, I'm not gonna speak for anybody but myself, but I think over the last five plus years, um, maybe I assumed that people would need more, more variety than I gave people credit for. Maybe I didn't give people enough credit that they could uh, really fully grasp the benefit of continuity. But I'm starting to see that that is not the case, that a lot of people are like, hey, I'm, I'm in this for the best gains. This is probably on the spectrum of novelty and continuity, probably leaning more heavily on continuity for best gains. I like that I know exactly what weight and reps I should start my mesocycle with. I like that I know the technique already. There's some really good confidence and fun that comes from that. Cool. Um, next question I wrote down was like, generally what's my approach in terms of changing things when it comes to hypertrophy? Like gen generally, again, I had a podcast with Brian Borstein a couple episodes, a couple episodes ago where we shot the shit on this exact topic. So I'll put that in the description and definitely would go listen to that for a bit more of an extensive discussion. But the truth is I'm at a stage right now where the question is how much should you change things up for your clients? And the answer is just enough to scratch the novelty itch. 
right? Just enough to scratch the novelty itch. Whether that's a new exercise, uh, a new rep scheme, adding an intensity technique, changing a rep range, adding a pause, getting rid of a pause, changing a tempo in some way. Probably, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? That's that's probably how I would go, or at least I'd lean more heavily on that side of the spectrum. If your client is making progress and they are enjoying the things they're doing, maybe don't thrust upon them a whole bunch of new shit. Now, I'm a little bit of the opinion that like most of my clients feel that way. When it's time to design their new, their next mesocycle, my one-on-one coaching clients, we go through their program. What did you like? How did this go? Are you progressing on this? How do your joints feel? How's your back feeling? You know, um, most of the time they're they're like, hey, things went really well. I liked the mesocycle. And more often than not, they arrive at the conclusion of maybe there's one or two things that they really didn't enjoy. And that's helpful for me because we'll swap those things out, right? That's the, just enough to scratch the itch. Um, but it's been cool to see most people when they are when they are given this sort of discussion beforehand, they're like, you know what? I, I'd want to keep most things the same. Um, and so for me, it's about dealing with the individual in front of you and giving them just enough novelty to scratch that itch of doing something new is fun but keeping enough continuity where they understand that one, this is probably better for gains and two, there's fun here in knowing exactly what's expected of me right from the get-go in week one of the next mesocycle. Cool. So what are the issues or potential issues with this experiment? Every experiment has to have a controlled variable so we can isolate a variable that we can look at here. This is my life here. It's not going to be perfect. Um, what I would say is what are some of the, you know, again, the experiment is me keeping the mesocycle exactly the same. What are some potential issues that I think might come about? One is my ankle is getting better. I'm at 11 weeks right now and anywhere in the 12 to 16 week mark, I think I'll be back at full force. When that happens, I'd like to do a little bit more leg training. Right now I'm doing six leg exercises maybe spread across two days. Uh, I'd probably like to just go a smidge higher than that and also increase the intensity with which I'm working, potentially increasing the difficulty of some of the movements I'm doing um, systemically wise, like maybe a back squat or something like that, whatever. Um, and so that will increase the systemic demand and it will also change my program, which kind of violates the whole point of the experiment, which is changing nothing, but it's not going to be a big change. But that is one thing. My ankle's gonna get better. I'm gonna incorporate a little bit more legs. I might, that might have to sacrifice one or two exercises elsewhere. I don't think I'm just gonna add those on top. I think I'd like to keep at least the, the total amount of work that I'm doing relatively similar. Um, and so that's one thing. I don't think it's gonna be a huge deal, but maybe it's a slightly less bicep and tricep work. Um, I'd like to keep the emphasis for now on my chest and my back and delts. Um, and so that might be where it sacrifices from. But I still think we're talking like 90 to 95% the same. And again, I'm already on my second mesocycle. And so this was a completely apples to apples mesocycle. Um, second thing that might be an issue is I'm gonna be back to playing soccer. So I hurt my ankle. You guys don't don't follow along with my <laughs> injury history here, but I, I tore some ligaments, had a grade three high ankle sprain uh, playing soccer about, well, again, 11 weeks ago. Uh, and I was playing soccer four times a week uh, and it was I was loving it. First of all, I've been, honestly, I've been playing soccer a lot for the last year and it has massively improved my quality of life. It's just been such an enjoyable thing. Met a lot of friends. We just moved to Texas. It was our way to meet people. It's been awesome. But I'd like to run this experiment. It's important to me. So I don't wanna be playing so much soccer that one, systemically, I'm just shot. Two, locally in my lower body, I'm shot. And so I wanna be playing just enough to, to, again, for me to scratch that itch, for me to enjoy it, but also for me to not fuck up this experiment because I'm actually really excited for it. And so I'm probably gonna be playing twice a week. And I think that systemically, that won't be too much. It's not gonna mess with my upper body training at all. And I'll pay attention to 
whether or not it's affecting me locally in my lower body as far as fatigue and, and, and recovery. Um, and then the other issue with the experiment, or not an issue, but something that needs to be noted, is that I'm at maintenance calories. And so the length of time, my runway for gains on anything that I do is going to be less than if I was in a surplus. And so if I find out that three mesocycles in, I run into a plateau, you know, maybe that wouldn't have been the case if I was at in a surplus. And so that is just at least a relevant variable that we need to say is that I'm at maintenance calories. And so my um, threshold for positive adaptations in terms of muscle growth and strength is less than if I were in a surplus of calories and obviously had more resources to be putting on muscle tissue and having uh, the ability to make gains via that route. Um, and as much as I'd like to also run this experiment in a surplus, I think I feel like there's some specificity there that's like, hey, maybe if you're in a surplus, you can, man, you won't plateau or see notable decline or see notable, you know, decline in the upward trend for much longer. Um, yeah, that'd be an interesting experiment too. I probably won't be doing that in a surplus this time around, but it will be something that I note when all things are said and done. Okay, so we talked about the possible outcomes. Possible outcomes would be one is that my motivation to train goes so low because I'm just not enjoying doing the same shit. Boredom slash yearning to try new things, which is what I've been doing for the past five years. Maybe the, those will just bubble up to a point where I say, fuck it. Um, however, I think it is confounded or intertwined with the fact that things eventually, 100%, if you stick with doing the same things, things will start to feel stale. You'll start to make less progress. You'll start to have to fight so much harder tooth and nail for an extra rep here and there. You'll get worse pumps. A lot of those things are indicative of you just adapting a lot to what you're doing and would benefit in this context for, from some novelty. And I think that those two things are always happening. I'm always, you know, um, we have a certain amount of runway of doing the same thing before we get bored. So that's, I'm always trending towards that point. I'm also at the same time trending towards uh, like a physiological plateau and worse pumps and worse sessions, uh, maybe worse mind-muscle connection, just stuff that might even just make me enjoy my training less, which again, I think cycles back to the motivation to train thing. And so some form of those two, I think obviously is gonna end up with me feeling low motivation to train. Um, I, I, I'm not, it's so funny. because so, so the next point, uh, the last point before I close this down is, is what do I think is gonna happen? And I'll read kind of some of my quotes here that I was just like jotting down beforehand. Like I was straight up laughing. I'm laughing at the idea of actually hitting a plateau on a movement, like actually getting to a point where I'm struggling to put up an extra rep or an, an extra one pound. You know what I mean? Like an actual full blown plateau on something where I'm like, hey, this whole mesocycle, I didn't make progression from last mesocycle. The idea of that happening is so far fetched to me. Like. I know that that's what it would eventually happen, 100%. That is what eventually would happen. But the, the idea of it actually happening just feels so fucking far-fetched. And I think one of the reasons why that is is because I've never done it. I've never actually pushed something to the point of, when am I actually gonna plateau? And I think the reason why I've done that uh, or, or haven't done that is because I've been... Um, one is I've been changing things around for educational purposes just to expose myself to new stuff. Um, and I just find it I just find it funny that that would happen. I, and I almost think that it, it, it would never happen in a practical scenario because I think we would all run out of emotional enjoyment before we run out of physiological capacity to adapt. Um, and so that to me just is funny. It's funny that like, how many of you guys listening to this have sticked with an exercise, stuck, sticked, have stuck with an exercise long enough to a point where you spent an entire mesocycle on it and didn't make progress. I would bet zero people listening to this. Brian and I talked on a number of podcasts 
um, that when we think about changing out an exercise, never has it happened that we change out that exercise because we're like, well, I'm just literally not gonna progress on it. 99 out of 100 times, you're changing something out because like psychologically, you just really don't wanna do it. Whether you literally have like low level anxiety at the thought of it or enjoyment wise, it's not going well or another factor is injury. And so when you do the same thing, the same movement, you load the same joints over and over and over again, maybe I start to develop, and I didn't talk about this in the possible outcomes, but maybe I start to develop a couple little niggles of pain. Now I'm, I'm gonna just say modestly here that my exercise technique and execution is really solid. My exercise selection is solid. I'm doing good exercises biomechanically that I know aren't just like, violating any joint mechanics in any way. And so I I don't suspect that that's going to happen, but you know, I've had, you know, knee pain in the past. I've had patella tendonitis and I still honestly deal with it a little bit. Um, I've had some shoulder pain in the past, but honestly not in the last like three to five years after I started doing things that fucking make biomechanical sense. And so I also laugh at the fact that that would happen. But again, I don't know, cause I've never run the same program for five mesocycles, for example. Um, and so I'm honestly, like, like, it's not my goal to plateau. It's not my goal for you to plateau. You shouldn't, like plateauing is not an end that is worth pursuing by itself. There's nothing beneficial about plateauing. But what I would say is if you ever have done something long enough to plateau, that it, that chances are it would show me that you've really pushed this movement and really been training hard and really been dialed in and it's almost a proxy for somebody who's been doing a lot of good stuff, even though it's not an end that is independently beneficial. There's nothing special, nothing good that's happening when you plateau, except what it represents is that you've probably been sticking with this movement, getting darn close to failure, working hard for several mesocycles in a row, you know, outside of the person who will invariably put in my Q and A's, hey, I haven't pro progressed on shoulder presses in a while. You know, nine times out of 10, that person, their technique could improve. Maybe they need to deload or they're not training consistently or they're not eating enough, they're not sleeping enough. You know, those are factors that I'm not gonna address here because those things are the things that need to be fixed. It's not actually, you're not actually running into a physiological like adaptation-based plateau, plateau. I guess you are given those contexts of shitty recovery. Um, but those are the things in that context that need to be fixed. That's less of a training discussion, more of like a lifestyle discussion and yeah, sometimes it's, sometimes it's training-based, sometimes you need to deload, sometimes you just swap the movement, sometimes you need more sets, sometimes you need less sets. Um, but yeah, I'm not saying that that my that what I think is gonna happen is exactly what's gonna happen for everybody, um, that if you all run this experiment, that it'll all go the same, we're all very different, we have different needs in terms of uh, emotional attachment to novelty, we all have different, we're at a different training age, and so we all have a different level of like a different threshold or a different amount of runway for progress. Like you might plateau after eight mesocycles doing the same thing. I might plateau after doing four. Again, I'm throwing those numbers out. I have no idea. That's the point of doing this experiment. Um, yeah, yeah. Again, I just, I'm just laughing at the idea that I would actually stop doing this because I'm plateauing. Like that idea is just fucking crazy to me. And I, I would like to see when that happens um, so that I know for me that when I change something that like, I know maybe I have several more mesocycles before I would actually get to a point where I'm like, this is no longer giving me the adaptations I want or they've been diminished to a point where I should swap it out. Um, and so that's really interesting to me if you guys wanna follow along. You know, the one downside is this isn't great for business. Brian and I were talking, it's not a great idea for business 
because you guys have been seeing the same exercises on my program, on my stories, in my posts for the fuck for the last 12 weeks um, since I hurt my ankle. This has been my program. You guys have been seeing the same goddamn thing. And business-wise, not great. I want to show you guys new stuff. I want to be, you know, at the forefront of practicing these new movements, et cetera. And so, you know, we'll see when, if, if one of the outcomes is me just like yearning to do something that's slightly better for business potentially. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. I really am interested in this. And I frankly am, I'm looking forward to taking a break from having to try a bunch of new stuff and looking forward to really just like, I look at my workout today. I think I have thoracic pull around, uh, incline dumbbell press, standing dumbbell curls uh, or something like that. And I just already know exactly what I'm going to do for weight and reps, or at least like ballpark what I'm expecting of myself. And there's something super calming and super exciting about that. Does that excitement turn to anxiety once things are so fucking hard? Am I losing sleep over some of these exercises? I don't know. We're going to find out. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. I think it's going to be an interesting thing to discuss. Um, is there anything I can share from... So in my group Zoom last week, we I, I showed two mesocycles of progression for an exercise. And that is kind of what spurred me doing this podcast. It was like, hey, I wanted to kind of put that into perspective. Obviously, I'm not screen sharing with you guys and showing you that. But over the course of two mesocycles, that's 10 weeks of stimulative training. My mesocycles are one week of intro week, five weeks of hard training, and then repeat. So it's a six-week mesocycle with five weeks of hard training. One week is a deload. So two mesocycles is 10 weeks of hard training. Of the 10 weeks of hard training, I probably spent the first two or three slightly suboptimal stimulus because I was still figuring out the movement. I even changed my setup a couple of times. You know, I still remember for the iliac pull down, first I was doing it half kneeling. Then I was like, all right, let me try on the bench. Let me try half kneeling with the bench. Three weeks in is when I found out my groove. And so, you know, if it was three weeks out of five, then that would be 60% of the mesocycle I spent figuring it out. But right now it's three weeks out of 10. It's only 30%. After the next mess will be three out of 15. It'd be, you know, one fifth. Um, and so the time spent with this, like figuring it out, the longer you do, it will be a smaller percentage of time that you wasted figuring that out. It'll be, it'll become more worth it. It's like, it'll pay for itself at some point. Um, and so being two mesocycles in, what I will say right now, I'll close the podcast down. It's already longer than I wanted. Two mesocycles in, I'm in peak week right now. Um, I have not plateaued on anything. Um, I've had an amazing, amazing mesocycle of training. And I attribute that to starting my week one with with appropriate values, starting week one with weight and reps that I knew were like bang on the bullseye of where I wanted to be. And for those of you guys that are not great at assessing RAR, this is like the best way to, to circumnavigate that problem because you have such objective data of what you did last mesocycle that you can just use that data. You know, I finished my you know, my dumbbell press with 75 pounds for a set of 10 at zero RIR. And I want to start this mesocycle at a, you know, two or three RIR. Maybe I'm just going to do 70 pounds for about eight. It's very easy to do those calculations. Yes, I will also calibrate in the moment and I won't just trust that uh, estimation. I'm going to calibrate, recalibrate in the moment. Um, but for those of you guys that are like, I struggle with RIR. It's like, yeah, because you're trying to calculate it every fucking week instead of using some of the objective data to help you out. Uh, and so far, I got no injuries. My motivation to train is still high. Actually, this mesocycle was a, a banger. I loved it. My training was hard. Um, I made progress. Not a ton of progress, but that makes sense because I started a little bit 
more appropriately in an appropriate difficulty. Um, and it was amazing. Am I gonna say that at the end of the third? I don't know. At the end of the fourth? I don't know. But so far, running it back one time was an infinitely better mesocycle than the first time around. Super enjoyable. But I could see over the long term where I'm like starting to look at my training. I'm like, ooh, this again. Ooh, this again, you know? Um, and so as of now, it's been an amazing experience. Two mesocycles in, it's been fantastic. No no injuries, no little niggles of pain. Uh, doesn't look like I'm plateauing on anything. My pumps are still good. I, I'm PRing on stuff, which again, jury's out on how important that is, but it's a good proxy that that I'm pushing myself hard because I can do more. And although strength and hypertrophy are slightly different, they're massively inter intertwined. Um, and yeah, so I'll leave you on that. I'll probably do another podcast at the end of each mesocycle with a little bit of an update. If you have questions on this, um, shoot me a DM, we could talk about it. If you're in my group, just know that I'm not going to imprint this exact experiment onto you guys, but just hopefully this gave you a little bit of context as to like the battle, the what goes on in my mind when I'm trying to balance the benefits of continuity with the benefits of novelty when it comes to your programming. All right, I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.